You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Uh, well, this morning I, uh, I want we're gonna I'm gonna share with you something that if you will make a, a discipline in your life that will help you tremendously in life. There, the I did a little bit of research. The health and wellness industry. I was thinking maybe millions, maybe billions of dollars, but uh, I'm told that the health and wellness industry, this is in the U.S. uh, alone, or actually this is global, actually forgive me, is a $4.2 trillion industry. Now, I really truthfully can't get my mind around trillions. I just know that's lots of zeros and way more money than I will not only ever see, but ever have to account for. But uh, look at some of the statistics. Maybe the graphic will be on the screen here in just a second, but look at the statistics of what these are. The personal care and beauty and anti-aging industry. A thousand billion, that's a trillion, right? A thousand billions a trillion? Okay. So like a quarter of that is just people spending money on creams and stuff to make their skin look better and, you know, pills and whatever to, you know, to, to help you look youthful and, and that kind of thing. Uh, fitness of your both mind and body. So in that, all the gym memberships, all the exercise, all the Under Armour you wear that you bought at, at Dick's, you know, and the yoga and whatever, all Pilates, all of that stuff. Uh, half, over half a trillion dollars spent globally, almost 600 billion uh, spent on that. Uh, healthy eating and nutrition, weight loss, $702 billion spent to try to eat healthy and be good and all of that in your body. Staggering, staggering what we spend in the world to be happy and whole and healthy, right? Uh, absolutely astounding to me. Well, the thing that I'm going to share with you in a little bit is absolutely free. It will not cost you a single thing. In fact, you could download the app for free on the Bible. You know, you've already got a phone, already spent that money. It won't cost you anything, but it will cost you a bit of time. But how you can actually address some of the stuff that are root causes behind some of this, like how to deal with some of the difficulties and challenges and stressful things and all of that. And it's absolutely free. I'm not even, we're not even going to charge $19.95, right? And give you a set of steak knives to go along with it. So, uh, so take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 13. Judges, chapter 13. We're starting on the, the story of, of Samson this morning. And Samson kind of rounds out the final um, real judge. And in the last two or three weeks, honestly, it's going to be kind of a There's just, the book of Judges doesn't end well. Let me just say it that way. If you're familiar with it, there's just some awful things in it. And I've enjoyed walking through the different people and learning from them along the way. But this morning, more so much than talking about Israel or the Judges per se, we're going to see the backstory of Samson that we don't get with any of the other Judges. Most of them, we just catch a little glimpse of who they are, but we don't know much about them. Well, this morning, we're going to learn about Samson's mom and dad and how he came into this world. And uh, there's a phrase in particular that, that, uh, that just really jumped out at me, and I want us to camp on this morning. But, uh, but first, would you just pray with me as we open God's Word? Let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, I'm so glad to be together with your people. I'm so glad, Father, that we can worship you in a country that is truly free. And Lord, I pray that our freedoms would still be protected, uh, that we would be able to worship you without hindrance, without uh, interruption, without interference from our government, from foreign governments. 
And Lord, I'm grateful for all the lives and the individuals and people who have served and have sacrificed that we might live freely in this country. So Lord, I lift them to you. I lift the, 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 the family members and those who have served. I pray your blessings on them. But Father, more and even above that, I pray that you would speak your words into our heart this morning. Father, may we hear from you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So read with me in, in Judges chapter 13. This is the backstory to, to Samson. In verse 1, the Bible says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the last time we'll read this in Judges. But again, they did evil and there was a problem. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah who, uh, of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. Three things she was supposed to do. Not have any alcohol. Eat nothing that's unclean, according to the Jewish law. You know, no, no barbecue pig roast or anything like that. Um, and then thirdly, um, and, and for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And then the third thing is, is no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Amazing here, this doesn't hold up in federal or state court by any stretch, but pretty obvious that God pictures a child inside Mama's womb as having an identity and having a purpose and Mama needing to live her life in a way that, that had an impact on their child. So, so God comes to this woman, we don't know her name, but who didn't have a baby, and that was the craving of her heart, and said, you're going to become pregnant, you're going to have a child, but he's going to be a different kind of child. He is going to be a child that is dedicated and consecrated to me. That's what a Nazarite was. It was a child whose entire life belonged to God. And so because of that, there were three things in the Old Testament law that were stipulated. He wasn't ever supposed to have, get a haircut, which meant must have had awesome ponytails and all kinds of stuff that he could have, and uh, wasn't supposed to ever touch alcohol, any, any alcoholic beverage whatsoever, and wasn't supposed to eat anything that was uh, unclean. He was supposed to keep kosher according to the, to the Jewish law. So, uh, so read the rest of the story with me. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. In other words, I don't have a clue about who this guy was. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So she goes home, tells her husband, rehashes the story. Now here's what her husband says. Then, then, then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. You know what the husband said? Manoah said, God, you're giving us a boy? Cool. I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to do with this. I have no idea. Pretty much every parent has probably thought that when they first have a kid. Like, this is awesome. I have no idea how to raise a kid, right? That's what he said. Jump down with me and look at verse 12. So the, he goes and meets the, the angel. And in verse 12 he says, Now when your words come true, 
what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his, what is his mission? Dad's always jumped to the point. Okay, if he's a special child, what's the point? What's the purpose? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, all of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. I'm not going to share so much about this, but this is too cool to not, to not to let it go by. You know what he said? Dad said, okay, I'm going to have a son. How do I raise this son? I have no idea. And you know what the angel said? He said the same thing he told his wife. In essence, what he was saying is, my word is sufficient to have already told you how to raise a kid. Just follow it. You don't need anything else. Just follow my word. So moms and dads, if you struggle, go to God's word and raise your kids according to that, and you won't mess it up. You, your kids will be absolutely fine. So I want us to notice three or four things this morning. I, I, I want us to recognize this morning that God is a God in heaven who absolutely loves us. And, and as a result of loving us, that God is a, is, is, we don't just serve a God. We don't serve a common, average, ordinary, garden variety God. We serve the one true God in heaven who is in the wonder-working business. God works wonders. He, he is in the business of working wonders and miracles. You see, later on when God... Uh, when this just passed the story, I didn't finish reading it, but right after that, the, the father and, and his wife, the, the husband's wife, Manoah and his wife, they say, hey, would you stay here? We will go make a meal and prepare a fantastic meal for you. And the, the angel of the Lord said, I'm not going to eat any of your food, but if you're going to, to take that goat and kill it, you should offer a sacrifice to God. And down in verse 18, and it doesn't just say to the Lord, but it says, in, uh, but it's actually, it's in verse, verse 19. The Bible says, Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. To the one who works wonders. When I read that this week, my habit is, is I usually Monday morning, first thing, I read the next passage that we've got already laid out. I try to lay the sermon series and the weeks out and months in advance. And when I read that this morning, I just, or that mor Monday morning, I just jumped out of my skin. The God who works wonders. And I thought about that all week long. We serve the God in heaven who works wonders, who does astounding, amazing, unbelievable, wondrous things. The God who is not uh, incapable, who is, who is impotent, who can't do anything, who is powerless, but we serve the God who's by very nature, not just the Lord of heaven and earth, but of course he is that, but he's the Lord who works wonders. He's in the, the wonder working, the amazing kind of business to, to work in our lives. You see, this couple had no children. And the cry of their heart, the Bible doesn't say it, but I believe the cry of their heart was for kids, was to have children. And I can, it, the Bible doesn't say this either, but I can easily envision that they prayed that God would give them a child. It's not hard for me to, to envision that. The cry of their heart was for that. 
and for whatever reason, she, she, whether it was his fertility or her fertility or however that was, they were incapable of, of bearing children. But the God who works wonders came down and met with them and who supernaturally not just predicted the future, but did whatever he needed to do to work inside of her and his body so that she would produce a child and produce a son. It is amazing to me how much you and I need to know that we serve God, the Lord of this universe, who sits in heaven, who inhabits the throne room of this world, and He works wonders on your my behalf, that He notices us, He pays attention to us, He pays attention to us individually. You know, most important people in the world, I don't really know of anybody very important in this world, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know anybody personally famous. I, I don't know anyone who has great power of any great significance. But to know that the God of this heaven pays attention to me in the morning, that pays attention to me, and that who is a God in heaven who works wonders on my behalf and on your behalf, that's absolutely astounding to me that, that we serve such an in, incredible God. You see, this, this is the, the core bedrock, if you will, the centerpiece. Do you know how it's, maybe it's coming to Thanksgiving time, and I don't, I don't know how your table will be laid out, what you guys will do if, you know, some, some families, I think, they have the big turkey there in the middle, and that's kind of the center if you have the platter. It sounds good to me too, Gary. Uh, you know, or, if, or your tables, how you, you have things arranged, but the centerpiece is the focal point. It's kind of what it's all about, right? The centerpiece of our, of our faith is not just in God, not just in a God who's there or who's out there somewhere, but a God who is a wonder-working, who is the wonder-working God. That's the center point of our, our heart, of our relationship with Him. You see, because it's God who does things, God who works wonders in the world, that's the basis of our prayers. We go to Him and pray because we believe that He's a God who is able to move heaven and earth, that He is the one that can do what we can't do. When you and I are struggling, we're facing challenges in our life, He's the one that we reach out to. My, uh, my sixth daughter when she was born, my sixth child when she was born, she was, was well, there we were in the delivery room and in the, in the hospital, and I re remember it well. And uh, when she came out, she wasn't breathing, and she was blue. And, uh, and keep in mind, this was not my first rodeo. After about the third or fourth, I'm like, I could do this, Doc. I don't know why I'm paying you all this money. Like, I could deliver these kids. I watched it. You're really not doing a whole lot here, you know? You're kind of, I can put the catcher's mitt on. I'm good to go. But um, number six, when she came out, was not breathing. And she was not like the first five, and she was blue. And I saw the doctors and the nurses, I saw panic in their eyes. I heard fear in their voice, and they swept my little girl away and took her off to a corner, and I immediately knew I was not in a hospital that was prepared to deal with this. We were just in a little hospital and, you know, way up in northern New York in the north country, and the nearest hospital that could handle, you know, major issues with newborns was a couple hours away. And in that moment, I felt the panic of a father. And I leaned over the bed and grabbed my wife's hand who just delivered our little girl. And, and, uh, and I felt the panic and the fear of what it was like to lose a 
child in that moment, I said, oh God, if there's any way that you could spare my daughter's life and, and have her overcome this, God, would you please, and just poured our heart out in those, those few seconds that seemed like an eternity, and, and then eventually the doctors and nurses came back with her and she was okay, and I don't know what all medically happened or whatever. Their, their common layman's answer was, your wife did such an amazing job pushing her out so fast she didn't have a chance to catch her breath and hadn't been breathing for a little bit, but she's okay and she's fine. You see, we, we pray to a God who works wonders. Now, some might say, and some of you might be more skeptical, well, Sean, that's just a natural thing, and, you know, one in 50 pregnancies, you know, births face that, and that's a normal thing. Well, that may be, but you see, I believe there's a God in heaven who not only helped my little girl in that moment, but who gave her her lungs to begin with, who created the universe and gave her the ability to take oxygen into her body and had her little brain to tell her little brain that now's the time to breathe. You are no longer inside a mama and this umbilical cord is shifting. I believe there's a God in heaven who works wonders all around us that, that we often miss. But at the very core of our foundation of our faith is we believe in a God who works and a God who's powerful and a God who can do anything in the world around us that there's no problem, no immediate situation that you and I will face or fall into the middle of that is beyond his ability to work. Nothing is beyond his ability to change. He rules over the affairs of all of humanity. If anything, as we've walked through the book of Judges, he moves people in positions of authority and of influence and allows things to happen. He rules over the politics of the world. He rules over the, the, the things that happen in people's lives. We serve a God who does amazing, wondrous things, and that causes us to pray. And because we pray to that God, that causes us, us to have hope. You see, God ultimately is the real source of hope in our life. So many people are walking around the world today without hope. So many are walking in the, around in the world in despair. So many are walking around in the world with hopelessness. And at the very core is that you and I, not to ignore those difficulties, we feel those moments of the grief and the pain, and there's no way to escape the, all the stresses of life and all of that, but we believe in the God who answers prayer and we believe in a God in such a way that we know no matter what goes on, we have hope and we have a future because He's a God who works. He's a God that works. Now, something that you and I need to keep in mind along this way is, is we need to love and pursue God, not for the stuff that He does for us, but for God Himself. Think about it this way. If you have a wonderful grandmother, or maybe if your grandmother passed away and maybe she just was a wonderful, amazing cook and you like to come to her house for uh, Thanksgiving or one, I'm glad, Gary, and maybe she made the best cookies in the world. You know, that's wonderful. And it's good to enjoy those good things that grandma made. But after a while, if grandma begins to sense that you only come around because you really want her cookies and you really want her cooking, Grandma's not going to be very happy with you right now. She's going to be hurt. Why? Because you are ignoring the relationship with her, which is really more important than the cookies, and you're after the cookies themselves. 
So be careful as we serve a God who works that we don't begin treating God like some grand vending machine or some glorified Santa Claus or for a grandma that likes to do nice things for their grandkids. Yeah, we should enjoy those, and God does work for us. But along the way, what the biggest blessing is is that we get to know the God who has the ability and who works in all of this world around us. We have a relationship with a God in heaven. So that's the first thing I want us to realize is that we serve the God who works wonders. The second thing I want us to realize is if we come to that conclusion and if we keep that in the forefront of our mind and we all can miss that, we can kind of ignore that and forget that and we fall into despair and hopelessness and fear and doubts when all of those things begin to surface. But if we do believe that God is a God who works, then we will see our problems differently. We will see our problems as opportunities for God to work wonders. It will change things for us. You know, we, we spend a lot of money in this world masking and covering over problems, trying to escape problems. And as Christians, we really should have a mindset not to, not to kind of just make everything, oh, just as wonderful, I don't have any problems, my life is so fantastic and great. You know, there's moments where you can experience things like that, but there's real challenges and real problems in a real world. We don't need to wear the mask and hide all of that. But, but what we do need, and where I'm trying to nudge you this morning, is, is that we need to view the problems that we have as opportunities for God to work in our life and for God to see that. How do you think this couple, after they had Samson, they were excited to have a, a, a baby boy, right? But don't you think they were even more excited and on top of it that, wow, we couldn't have kids, and now we did. Don't you think at their, her baby shower, this was the story, and can't you know when she put him to bed and all, just the amazement in her life that God did something amazing in our midst. You see, when you and I face problems, it's really the opportunity that God is trying to say, I'm trying to show up in your life right now. I'm trying to work in your world right now. Now, my default is not that. My default is a problem is a problem, right? I got this problem, and I really don't want it. I want to give it away. I want to buy it and solve it, pay it off, get rid of it, throw it out the window, whatever. I want the problem to go away. And so my default setting is not this. But our problems really are opportunities for God to work wonders. Well, Sean, I appreciate that. But quite honestly, I've had some big things and God hasn't worked his wonders in my life. Sean, one of those I've wanted is I have wanted children and I've not been able to have kids. Why did God give Samson to his parents but I don't have any? Sean, I've, I've, I've got big things in my world and I've prayed and prayed and God didn't answer me. That God may be a God who works wonders, but he apparently is not a God who works wonders for me. Or maybe I've done something wrong that I just can't. Maybe it's my fault and God's punishing me for all this stuff. Listen, folks, when you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, all the punishment is on him. It is not on you. So you need to not take that tact. But let me say this way. When we have those problems and those pains deep in our life or those situations that we face regularly, the things that we have more conversations about than anything else, 
And my, my wife and I would say, we probably, it would be interesting to know your opinion. You can tell me later, honey, I won't interview you now. But my wife and I would say probably the conversation we've had more about the things that we pray about and care about, heartbreaking things, are about her parents' relationship with the Lord, actually the lack of that. Uh, we have talked so much over the years and prayed and what can we do and why and all of that. And not one thing has seemed to have happened at all in the middle of that. So how do you handle that? We serve a God who works, but that God who works and is able doesn't even need the step of the fingers for you in-game Avengers fans. Doesn't need that, and if you don't know the movie, don't worry about it. He doesn't, God who can do anything, just whose very mouth and words have power. But sometimes he doesn't do what we want. And sometimes we're left with the grief and the pain and the heartache. And we know, God, you could do this if you wanted to. Why don't you? I don't begin to know the answer to all of those questions. And you would know if I tried to give me an answer that I was blowing smoke and just, you know, making light of something. But I do know this, that God is still wanting to show up in your life in that situation. If he doesn't answer that and do the miracle or do whatever that you need and what you're praying for, then what he is saying to you is, is my grace is sufficient and I'm going to help you and I'm going to show up in your life in the little things and I'm going to take care of you and you're going to be okay and it is going to be okay it's going to be painful you're going to hurt and you're going to suffer but I'm also going to love you and you're going to walk forward and you're going to be able to deal with this and you're going to be all right I'm going to show up in your life you see God's going to show up in our life one way or the other he's not going to ignore us he's not going to leave us and you and I get we get afraid, we begin to despair, we begin to worry, we begin to lose hope, and we begin to think all this because we really have our mindset that this is really what the solution should be. But God says, no, that's not the only one. I've got several options in front of me, and I'm doing this. It may not be exactly what you want, but Sean, I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to sustain you and your wife, and I'm going to help you walk through that and yeah, it's going to be weeks and months and years in this journey, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to show up in your life as the God who works, not just who does the miracles, but who works in the average, mundane kinds of things of life. And I'm going to show up there. There's a brand of Christianity that at times just kind of almost wants to manipulate God to where... If God's not doing some miracle in your life, if you're sick or whatever, and doesn't just heal you, that obviously you don't have enough faith, and you just, you know, that everything in the Christian life has to be this big show and excitement and thrill. And, you know, there's moments where God does some of those things, guys. Those are unusual. The typical moment is just the challenges of life and walking in a relationship with God who grows us and loves us the day in and the day out. Those of you that have been had been married for a long time or think back to your parents or just maybe long-term relationships, there's some high points in those, right? But most of it is pretty average stuff. You know, how are we going to get down there in time? I don't know. We'll hit McDonald's on the way. I know it's not great, but we'll just do it. You know, like decisions and stuff, you just deal with life is just average. 
but we should not, in the middle of the average and the challenges and the ho-hum, forget that God is the wonder-working God, and He works wonders around us. And we should fix our eyes on that centerpiece at the table and every day, every life around us. By the way, when you and I lose that hope in that God, we need to pay attention to our escape routes. You know what our escape routes are? Whenever we're facing those challenges and those difficulties in life, they're the things that we run to to find peace. They're the things that we think will give us hope. They're the things that we think will give us an escape. If I could, oh, if I could just get away. If I could just have that extra glass of wine and make me, oh, I just want to relax. I just want to watch TV. I just want to do this. I want to do that. Be careful with your escape routes. Every hunter knows that whatever game they're pursuing, when it feels threatened or, or feels that pressure, it will run to what makes it feel safe and secure. We do the exact same thing. Some of the industries that we talked about here are masks that people are in pain and they're running to feel secure and safe in their life not knowing how to cope with loss, not knowing how to cope with the crushing suffering, not knowing how to cope with the difficulties in life. And we run to things. We choose those escape routes. And if you really examine your escape routes, what do you do when you're under pressure? Where do you go to relieve that pressure? What are you trusting in? If at the end of the day, God is not in that picture, then you're not trusting God. So here's what I'm saying plainly. Is it a good thing to go exercise a little bit? Yeah, it's good and healthy for you. It helps deal with some of the stresses of life. But if your hope is in that exercise machine, eating well, any of those things, you're missing God in the picture. And you're putting your hope and your security in something that's going to fail you and that will end up not delivering anything. So be careful with your escape routes. Keep in your heart and your mind the God who does wonder-working power. Now here's the secret, a secret recipe, if you will. And this is the third thing I want to share with you. You should start every day encouraging your heart in the God who works wonders. Every day. You remember the story of George Mueller, amazing story, amazing Christian, lived in the 1800s in England and started all kinds of ministries, was absolutely broke, uh, ran an orphanage for children in, in England in, in the time period where children were not valued and life was not valued as much as it should be. And, and on a sh less than a shoestring budget, there was more than one time, several times when he would wake up in the morning responsible to feed all of these kids and have no food in the you know, to give them at all and would just simply pray and cry out to God and somebody would show up on the door, the milkman would show up. I just felt like I should bring all of this milk to you this morning and somebody else would come by. Just an amazing story, amazing man of faith. And, uh, and I'm told that, that he saw as his first responsibility would be to start every day encouraging his heart in God finding those things that, that would touch his soul to remind him that God loves him. You see, there's a little discipline. Many of us know that you ought to read your Bible every day, not as a discipline, not as a, well, it is as a discipline, but it's more than that. It, you know, just like you're going to get up and you're going to eat food, you ought to take in some spiritual food. Sitting and listening to God along the way and reading what he's got to say and talking to him, that's huge. 
But I want to put a little bit of a spin on that this morning. I want to challenge you. It's not so much that you read the Bible for understanding or just to be able to say, I did it. I did it in a year or whatever. That's great. That's awesome. But you should be looking for more than that. You should be reading the Bible to connect with God. Read it for understanding, but read it to make a connection. You see, it's easy, especially if you've been a follower of Christ for a while, follower of Jesus, to read the Bible because you're supposed to, because that's what good Christians do. But I want to challenge you that every morning when you read your Bible, if you don't understand everything you're reading, it's okay. I don't. <laughs> so I let you off the hook on that one. But what I do want to challenge you to do is to find something that gives hope and a connection in your heart to God in heaven who loves you and works tremendously in your behalf. Let me read a few verses to you out of the book of Psalms. Psalm 77 says this. Let me turn there quickly. 77 verse 11 says this. It won't be on the screen, so just listen. It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. You know what Asaph, who wrote that, was saying? He says, God. I'm going to remember all the things, the wonders. You are the wonder-working God, and you saved us by your powerful might. He was remembering what God had done. Psalm 78, next chapter over, warns us not to forget the goodness of God. It was telling us about the, the people from Ephraim later on when they had a mess in life. They, the Bible says this, they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zon. He divided the sea and let them pass through it. And he made the water stand like a heap. And in the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all night with a fiery light. He's talking about God delivering the Jews out of Israel. But he said, you guys forgot all of these wonders. You forgot his wonderful works. You see, in the world around us, when you and I forget the works of God in our life, we will 100% of the time begin to fall into despair by, by natural attrition, by shrinkage, just like a muscle. If you sit around all day long and day after day, week after week, and don't move, your muscles will atrophy, and they will begin to shrivel and not be used anymore. When you and I fail to remember actively the wonder-working of God in history and all of creation and our lives in our midst, then our faith begins to shrink and atrophy. Our encouragement begins to go out the window. Our hope begins to disappear like the, the morning vapor and the morning dew. And so often you and I go through the day and we know we're battling and we've got things that we've got to go through and it grinds us and runs us down. But if you and I will take one little discipline, if we will but simply make sure that somehow we're going to find a hope, a word of encouragement, something in God's Word that speaks truth into our soul to navigate all of the junk that's in our head. It will begin to dissipate worry and despair and anxiety. It will give us a hope 
and a, a joy in our soul and will begin to bless us tremendously in life and it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to go to a gym and buy a membership. You don't have to take any special pill. You don't have to have the secret sauce. You don't have to, you don't have to lift a single dumbbell or run a single mile. But it will begin in your life to live a life that you experience that relationship with God closer to the way that He wants, closer to Him experiencing His hope and His joy in your life so I want to encourage you that whatever it takes to find that Bible verse, I don't care if you need a little devotion that somebody needs to read to give you something, and if you read it and like, eh, that didn't do anything, then read something else. But find something. Read a psalm. Read through, but put your hope. Begin to think through about what God has done for you and begin to rejoice and be grateful and, and have that frame of mind as you go into your day you will begin to think things the way that God desires. You see, we so often feel paralyzed by our feelings and these sensations of, of dread and woe and all of that. And, and God made us an emotional being, and most of those emotions are good. I would submit to you that most emotions are not bad, even the negative ones. They're there for a reason. If you get afraid of somebody coming at you, pointing a knife at you and a gun, I hope you have a little bit of fear going on. I think that would be a healthy response. You know, you're being threatened. If you see a car coming at you head on, I hope you get a rush of adrenaline to take action and do what you need to do. It's good. But it's when we allow those things to take over and when they take over in our mind and our heart because we somehow are forgetting that we serve a God who works wonders. Wait a minute, my God is in charge. Wait a minute, my God loves me. Wait a minute, I can trust in Him. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, and I really don't like the fact that I don't know, because I like to be in charge. Well, start there, confess that sin to God. But God, I want to trust you. I'm going to find joy. Look, you worked in my life here, and in here, and in here, and in here. God, you made this world. You made this universe. God, and, and in your heart, wrestle with your soul before the God of heaven. And think through that whatever those things are and get your heart as you pray, as you read the Bible, as you meditate and think. And as you do along that way, those feelings will begin to disappear and you'll begin to have a hope. You'll begin to walk your day through in a, in a healthy way. Sean, are you trying to say that we'll never have any stress, anxiety? No, I'm not trying to say that at all. But I am trying to say you could probably have a lot less than you probably have. And it's because we don't do what I'm simply doing, talking to us about, and I fail to do that as well. But I wanna challenge you to start your day and to repeatedly along the way and in, 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 if at home in your relationship with one another, get to the place where you both can encourage and challenge the other and say, boy, you seem to be really struggling today. By the way, have you found any hope in God today? You know, do it in a nice way. If that's going to set your husband or your wife off, then don't do that. God's not sitting there, you know, like, oh, yeah, nice judo move you just pulled there. He's not impressed with that. But get to the point where you can encourage and remind each other. We're fallen, messed up people, and we need that. But whatever it takes to remind your heart there. Now, let me share the last thing, and I'm going to be done quickly. Let me read this passage to you. I, I referred to it, but I want to read it now. Uh, the Bible says this in verse uh, 19. So Manoah, the husband, 
takes this young goat with a grain offering, that to be a sacrifice to God, and he offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. And now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The story continues. Manoah's like, we're dead. God's going to kill us. We've just seen God. And his wife, who obviously had way more practical common sense than him, wait a minute. God just told us we were going to have a baby. If we're dead, we can't have a baby. So, like, these two things don't meet. I think we're going to be okay, honey. And he listened, apparently. What I want you to notice is that the angel of the Lord told them something very interesting. God is about to work in your life. You know what your right response should be? Worship. Worship. You see, what God's trying to do is when you and I have those problems, and as we, whether we suffer through them or whether God does the amazing miracle, whichever, what He's trying to do is to bring us to a place of worship with Him. That's what He's trying to do. He's not trying to undermine you. He's not trying to cut your legs out from under you. He's trying to bring you to a place of worshiping the God of heaven. Now, sometimes God wants you to worship Him in spite of the problem. It's amazing what that will do when you are challenging. And I can't tell you how often when you just that stuff is going on, you say, God, the world's falling apart. I'm just going to choose to worship you. Why? Because you're focusing on the things that are true, that are real, and it begins to address all of that. But God wanted to bring him to that place of worship, but not just any kind of worship. This was worship through sacrifice. This young goat that was sacrificed on that altar. You see, that's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture that God is going to send His Son Jesus to cover our sins, that we might have a relationship with Him. You see, we pray to the God of heaven who works wonders. We don't stand on our own authority. We don't stand on our own merit. We stand on the authority and the merit that Jesus has. It belongs to Him. He's the one who paid the sacrifice, the penalty of our sins, that paid and met the righteous justice requirement of God so that we could have a relationship with Him. And when you and I, as God works those wonders in our life, as we recognize that, what we're doing is, and what God's trying to bring us to a place of, is saying, you know you don't deserve this, right? You know that I'm going to work this in a special way, but you know... This is because of my son Jesus, not because of you. You don't deserve this, but I'm going to love you anyway and lavish grace upon you. You see, it has a way of humbling you and me because sometimes we just, we just want to get what we want and think that we earned it and did all of these things and God is just like, oh my goodness, what do I have to do with you? And when we, in our heart, worship the God of heaven as we see God working in our life, whether miraculously or ordinarily or even to the point where, God, you're not answering this prayer, but it's okay. God's bringing us to that point of worship that we see that we don't deserve His sustaining hand. And He grows us in our relationship with Him in the process. And the whole basis of His work in our life is the work that He did through Jesus dying on the cross. You see, so many people around us think that just because they draw breath in this world that they deserve God to do great things in their life. It's not the way it works. You're an awesome person, absolutely, every single one of you. 
God made you in the image of God. You have incredible abilities and, and just the, the value and the worth that, you, that he has placed inside of you and in the world around you is unbelievable. But none of us deserve the blessings of God in our life. Not one of us. Not one of us. Your life is precious. But because of our sins that we've all chosen before holy God, we have forfeited that. And God is reminding us that I love you, I see you, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to work in your life. If you will trust me and find your hope in me, I will work to sustain you or to help you or to answer those prayers, whichever. But I'm only going to do that because of my son Jesus, that he died for you, for you. So when you see God sustaining you and working in your life, I want you to go back and to consciously recognize, God, thank you for loving me through Jesus. Thank you that you have saved me by faith. Thank you, God. God, I don't deserve any of this. God, I'm not entitled. It's so easy to begin to feel entitled, isn't it? God, I'm not entitled. Thank you that you love me anyway. We serve a God who works wonders, who does amazing things, and we don't deserve any of them. If that doesn't cause us to worship and to make much of Him and to glorify Him, I don't know what will. So have hope. Don't despair. Oh, do cry out to God and you'll have those moments. I will too. And when I have them, remind me, Pastor, Sean, remember God works wonders. I'll say, yep, He does. Thank you. Cry out to him. And as he works, be grateful. And put all of that glory and honor back to him. So as our worship team comes up and leads us in a response song to him, I don't know which part of that you need to reflect on this morning. Maybe you've struggled with why God hasn't answered some of your prayers in the past. I don't know that anyone could ever begin to explain it. I don't think they can. But I think you just had to come to terms and say, God, I trust you. You love me. And I trust you. My hope's in you. Oh, God, it hurts today. God, I'm struggling with anger and bitterness. God, would you help me? I, I trust you, God. I love you. Would you help me to walk and experience your grace and your power in my life in the middle of this? So whatever God's dealing with this morning, I want you to respond to him. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. That he loves us. Thank you that he died for us. God, you have worked wonders in our lives. God, I know that there's some people this morning that have given up thinking that you can't possibly work. That the situation's too hopeless. Nothing's changed for years and nothing will ever change. God, I pray that you would somehow help them to trust you. That they might see the error of that thinking and that fatalism. And that they might find hope in you. Lord, would you, would you heal? Would you change our lives? Would you help us to find our, our future, our health, our, our joy in you? I pray. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.